Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. And we're going to uh, look at Acts chapter 16, beginning at verse 6 this morning. This is the story of um, Paul. He's on his second missionary journey, as it's termed. This is the second time that Paul has actually gone out. He's uh, in the region of Asia Minor. And this is the story of how the gospel uh, reaches across from from Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, into Europe. And for that to happen, Paul had to be willing to listen to God's voice and to be responsive to God's will. And you'll see that in this particular section. Acts 16, verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, and the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Well, pull out your bulletin covers, and I just want you to have a look at it. It's no doubt right behind me as well. Just take a look at that picture again. Dynasty is the title of this sermon series, and, um, and graphically to represent what we're trying to do as we talk about building a lasting faith, we're trying to build a faith that focuses on the cross of Christ, on his power for our lives, on his forgiveness. At the bottom of that graphic, you see roots reaching down because what we're talking about when we're talking about a a dynastic faith is a faith that really drills down deeply with its roots and is strong no matter what the storms and troubles and problems of life might bring if you recall on the on the first week we talked about how a faith building a lasting faith starts with humility that, that um, just like that upside-down ladder, Jesus calls us, instead of trying to climb up the ladder, to be willing to, to go down the ladder in humility. Remember, Jesus taught this by setting a little child in front of his disciples and said, if you want to have uh, a true, lasting faith, become like this little child. Be humble in your faith and, and be willing to reach to the Lord at all times. Last week, you might recall that uh, we focused on this much smaller tool, a stud finder. 
And uh, we, we talked about how you use a, a tool like this to, to find something strong and solid and steady that's behind what's obvious and right in front of your face, the drywall. And how the Bible talks to us in terms of faith resting on invisible things, on things that are still hoped for, as Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us. Today I... Uh, I brought a different set of tools to adjust, to uh, talk about just one more thing in how we build a lasting faith. And I guess I better emphasize this point. You heard it come out in our text, and we've heard it come out several times as we've talked about building a lasting faith. If you listen carefully right there, you noticed that the wording when it talked about Lydia was, was that the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. So really, as we're talking about building a lasting faith and, and, and basing it on different tools, we're not so much, again, and I've mentioned this before, talking about what we need to do to build this lasting faith. It's, it's what sort of gifts we need to come to God for. What, what kind of prayers are we to pray? Lord, specifically, when you're building a lasting faith in my heart, I would like you to put humility in my heart. I would, Lord, like you to help me be more comfortable hanging my life on things that are not tangible, not visible, things that are still hoped for. We're really talking in this series about what kind of prayers to pray as we ask God for specific gifts of faith. I don't know if you can notice a a common theme to these tools this morning. A crescent wrench. In Africa, this isn't called a crescent wrench. It's called a shifting spanner. This one, uh, a socket screwdriver. I I love these because if you've got got one type of screw, you can just put it in there. And another kind of screw, you put a different one in there. It's very, uh, very flexible tool very responsive responsive to different sorts of situations and of course my favorite tool of all the good old hammer there's nothing that can beat a hammer as a tool in my mind you can do all sorts of things with hammers you can you can build up and you can rip down and a hammer has also got some flexibility built into it doesn't it it's got this side for when you want to nail the nails in and when you need to pull the nail back out you flip it over the theme of course is that all of these tools are flexible and adjustable they can be responsive to different situations and if we were to just have last week's sermon we might get the idea because we talked about how Jesus is our stud in more ways than one he's that he's that strong point behind the 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 drywall that we nail things into especially when life gets heavy just like you want to nail a heavy picture into that strong solid stud we might get the idea from that message that true solid christian faith is something kind of rigid and unbending and what, what we learn from today is that there's definitely a side of faith that is flexible. 
and adjustable and that is responsive to the situation. And that's really what we were reading about just now. Paul, the apostle, was really very intent on his mission to share the gospel with the world. His heart had been so touched. Remember Paul's personal history of of being someone who was actually tracking down Christians to have them arrested, himself even standing there while the very first Christian martyr, Stephen, was killed in front of him. He was very serious about persecuting Christians. And then the Holy Spirit came into his heart. The Holy Spirit made his heart responsive to God. And that put Paul on this amazing mission. Now, it would have been easy for Paul to get into his head that this is God's will to share the gospel. I'm going to do it the way I want to, and it's got to go the way I've planned it out. But clearly, if you look at what we're reading today, we see an apostle whose heart was responsive to God's will. Is that still an issue that we need to talk about today? Our own responsiveness to God's will, our own ability to to shift and adjust as the situation might require it in our lives. And how do we do that? And how do you get a faith that is at one time very solid and firm and nailed down into the wall, into Christ, and at the same time is flexible and adjustable? How do you you get that faith? How do you get a faith that really responds from all the way when God is saying, yes, I want to bless you, to when God is saying, no, I want to bless you, but I'm going to bless you by, by telling you you can't have these things or you can't go that direction. To the times when God is, is maybe saying, wait a bit, be patient. I'm not giving you your answer yet. See, I think those are kind of the three big situations, aren't they? That we have to be responsive to God in. We have to be responsive to God's yes. We have to be responsive to God's no. And we have to be responsive to God's timing because he doesn't always give us what we think he's going to give us in the time that, that we think it should be given to us. So that's what we want to talk about this morning. Pull out your crosswalk notes, and we're going to look at, um, at, first of all, the title. And I seem to have misplaced my notes, so hang on just a second. There they are. Will you do me a favor right at the very beginning today? I want you to circle that word respond because that's a word that you're going to hear a lot today. This message today is really about how can we have a faith that is responsive. I really think that a lot of the the times when we are not very responsive to God, particularly when he's saying yes, is because our minds get a little bit rigid. It's kind of easy for us mentally, emotionally, even spiritually, to get ourselves into a bit of a rut and and to build up a picture of things that might not match exactly with God's will. I, I sat down and I was thinking about God's yes and how many people I know that 
they're receiving a lot of God's yeses. They're being blessed in their life, in other words. And yet, they kind of drag themselves through life. You ever met somebody like that? Have you ever felt like that yourself? I know, I know deep down that God has given me a lot of good things. He's saying yes to me a lot, but I just can't seem to find the joy. I can't seem to get to that attitude of gratitude. And so I, I, I made a little bit of a list of things that, for myself, sometimes hinder me from recognizing God's yeses and God's blessings and, and having an attitude of joy and, and, and gratitude in my life. Sometimes our eyes are, are not open to God's blessings because we're, we're putting another interpretation on God's yes. It's often about how I choose to see the things that God is doing in my life. The way I react to God's yes at times will determine whether the circumstance makes me better or bitter. Let me give you an example. Do you ever have that when's the other shoe going to drop feeling? And sometimes when's the other shoe going to drop feeling comes the most when you're feeling blessed, doesn't it? It's like, oh, this is a good thing. This is a good thing. But then all of a sudden, you're going, mm, life can't keep going this good forever. When's the other shoe going to drop? When is the other side of the coin going to flip? And I think a lot of times, there's even a very sort of spiritual background to that that we put on it in the sense that we know that we are sinful. Deep down, when we look honestly at ourselves, we know that we're sinners. And as sinners, there's always that feeling, isn't there, of what we truly deserve. We know that when you break God's law, you deserve punishment. Even the Bible tells us eternal punishment. So when God starts to bless us, there's that nagging feeling of, when's the penalty phase going to come? Now, to get over something like that, you know what you got to do? You got to look back to God's biggest yes. You know what God's biggest yes to you is? God's biggest yes was when he saw you and me as sinful people in need of rescue, in need of a savior, in need of his son. And he said, yes. I'll send my son. Yes, I'll send my son to the cross. Yes, I'll send my son to, to do all the things, all the, the, the holy, righteous, good things that sinners can't. That's the big yes. But the problem is, so often, we don't cling to that big yes. Every day, throughout everything, we don't really believe deep down that God has said yes to us, that he has forgiven us all of our guilt and shame and sin. That his grace really truly applies to me. Sometimes we look out there and we say, I can understand how Bob or John or, or Susan or Mary, how God could forgive them. But man, I know what I've done. Is it possible that God has said yes to me? I'm not so sure. 
And so we go through life with this sort of mental block. Good things are happening, but we can't ever really appreciate them or enjoy them because we're thinking, wow, there's that sword dangling over my head. I'm a sinner and I deserve to be punished and it's, it's coming. Instead of thinking, God's son Jesus has forgiven me. God's Holy Spirit has called me to faith. I am truly a dearly loved child of God. Now that's an amazing truth to carry through life with you at all times. And it's why Paul could be flexible here because he knew this. You mean, you read his stuff. Galatians, Romans, what he wrote to the Corinthians, what he wrote to the Ephesians. And consistently he comes back to this truth that God gave him a big yes. Here's a guy who, as I said before, was such in opposition to God that he was persecuting God's people, tracking them down. And God said, I want you to be mine. My answer to you, Paul, is yes. I want you to be my child. And when Paul recognized that, all those little mental walls came tumbling down. And he said, wow, if God would send his son Jesus to die for me, what else wouldn't he do for me? In fact, that's exactly what he says in Romans chapter 8. So, are we letting our mind affect our mood? Are we letting our beliefs affect our behavior? Are we letting our self-talk affect our self-esteem. All those things can change. And we can truly begin to appreciate God's yes to us when we realize that we are walking in the shadow of his biggest yes ever. He sent his son, Jesus, for us. Take a look at how Paul reacted. And I, um, I want you to look at uh, verse 8. Paul's got a plan. But he's able, when he hears what God wants him to do, to flex and to shift. Verse 8. We've just heard, and I'll come back to this in a moment, that the Spirit of Jesus would not allow him to go to where he wanted to go. So, so, he's, so he says he reacts very, very swiftly, very urgently. So we pass by Messiah. And we went down to Troas. And during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now look at verse 10. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once. Circle those words, at once. To leave for Macedonia. Because Paul knew that he was a child of God, with the whole rest of his life and all of his plans, he could say, well, if God is saying no over here, but he's saying yes over here, let's go where God is saying yes. In fact, let's do it urgently. Let's do it immediately. Let's do it at once. You've heard it said so many times. If God closes a door over here, he's going to open a window over there. And Paul saw that window. And at once he headed for that window. Take a look at the next part of that passage. I love this. We got ready at once to leave for Macedonia. I want you to circle these words. Concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Why I love that word is that in the Greek, that word literally means putting the pieces together. Figuring things out by bringing one thing over here. Kind of like God's will was a little bit of a puzzle to Paul. And you know that feeling, don't you? 
You're going through life. You're living in God's big yes, but sometimes God's will is still a little bit of a mystery to us. What does he want me to do in this or that situation? And finally, Paul saw this vision. God gave him this vision, and Paul pulled the pieces together. And he came to a conclusion. Part of living in God's yes is being willing to make decisions. Sometimes we as Christians go, we want God to just very clearly indicate things to us. Go here, go there. And God doesn't always do that in our lives, does he? Part of being responsive to God's will is pulling pieces together as best we can in our human wisdom guided by God's wisdom and coming to conclusions, making decisions, and moving forward rapidly. It's a big secret to being flexible and responsive to God's will. Take a look at Mark 6, verses 50 and 51. And we see Jesus being responsive and responsive immediately. This is Jesus being described when it says, Immediately he, Jesus, spoke to his disciples. He spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, And the wind died down, and they were completely amazed. What amazed them was Jesus' urgent responsiveness to their prayers. Jesus' urgent responsiveness to what they saw as a dangerous situation. And and you can flip that on its head. We can also see the disciples being urgently responsive to God's call. Matthew 4, 21 and 22. Going on from there... He saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Do you see that word, immediately? With the Holy Spirit opening their hearts, making them want to follow Christ, they immediately left their boat. Are there some people here today? Let me just ask this. You can think about it. Are there some people here today that are afraid to respond urgently to God's will? You know your life. Maybe it starts already with becoming a Christ follower. And and you've heard the message. And the Holy Spirit is calling to your heart. You look at those disciples. And and when Jesus called them to follow him, it says immediately. Maybe you're on the other side of the spectrum. Maybe you've been a Christian for many years. And and you're seeing God's work in your life, God's blessing in your life. and, and, um, And you're walking in God's big yes in Christ to you. But you're also feeling that God wants you to do something with your life. He's given you a particular gift. We're studying our gifts in our, in our growth groups. Maybe as you're going through that growth group study here, you're becoming convicted that God wants you to use a particular gift. And yet you find yourself dragging your heels. Here's, here's what this verse is really telling us to do. Stop dragging. Respond urgently to God's yes. A spiritual gift that God has given you is something that he's given you to use for the benefit of others. To not use it 
is to drag your heels. So this is our very first point when we're talking about being flexible, responsive to God's will, is faith responds urgently to God's yes. Now there's a flip side, as there always is. And that is that sometimes God says no, doesn't he? And uh, wow, that can be tough to absorb. When we really want something. And we've built up all sorts of rationale for that thing. We feel like it's good, not, not just because it's good for us, but look, we could, we could serve others with this. There's, a, there's the generosity factor. We've, we've got it all figured out for God. And we're praying, and we're hoping, and we're waiting. Ever have that happen to you? And God just seems to keep saying no. Here's some things that have made it difficult for me to accept God's no. But God, I tell him, I have a plan. And this is a good plan, I think, God. Please give this to me. It's part of the plan that I've made. You ever said anything like that? Or I have a desire. Maybe it's something that I, I can't even figure out why I have that desire. But, but it's something that's inside of me, and man, I can't shake it. I really feel like I need that thing. Maybe it's something that I've been working on for a while. Maybe it's something that I've invested a lot of myself into, a lot of time into a lot of team building into, a lot of money into, whatever it might be. And I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, I've come this far. How could God possibly say no to me at this point? I've got a lot invested. And yet I wait to hear God's yes, and it doesn't come. Maybe I have other people dependent on this desire. Some of you work in, in situations where you're employers, for example. And, and you're, you're waiting for God's yes in your business life. And you're thinking to yourself, God, it's not just me that needs this, but if I get this, then I can help a lot more people. I have employees to think about. I have a world that I want to serve to think about. There are people dependent on this, and God keeps saying no. It can be awfully hard to accept, can it? The last one I thought of is those times when I felt, boy, it's so clear. That is until today. It was so clear that this was God's direction. Did you ever feel that way about something? It was so clear in my head, crystal clear that this was the way God wanted me to go. And now today, it seems like he's flipped entirely and changed his mind. And now he's saying no, or he seemed to be saying yes. You see, I think that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was going through, wasn't it? Pull out your crosswalk notes again. And clearly God had sent him on this missionary journey. But now back up. Verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. And verse 7 says, When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. 
There he was, the great apostle Paul, thinking this has got to be what God wants me to do. And now God sends a messenger and says, nope, don't want you to go there. Well, we talked a moment ago, and I want to talk a little bit about a strategy for handling God's nose in our life. And I think this is a really important thing for all of us to think about. Part of the strategy for handling God's no in your life is, once again, to remember God's big yes in your life. No matter how many times God might be saying no to you, that never changes that God has said yes to you in Christ. So that's the first piece. There's a second piece, though. The second piece is we often go through life thinking about the daily no's as if those are the most important no's that God ever issues to us. But do you realize that those are not the most important no's at all? There's a far bigger set of of nose that are really the nose that God wants us to pay attention to and that no matter whether God takes our life to the right or to the left or to the middle those are the nose that we need to focus on do you know what I'm talking about a set of 10 nose you shall have no other gods before me you shall not dishonor my name. You shall remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You shall honor your father and mother. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not covet. Do not slander your neighbor or lie or deceive. Those are big, big no's. And whether God tells Paul to go to Asia or whether he tells him to go to Bithynia or whether he tells him to go to Macedonia, what God most of all wants from a man like the Apostle Paul is that he be obedient to his will as expressed in the commandments. Now, we focus so much on, am I going to get this from God or am I going to get that from God? Is God going to tell me to get this job or that job, live in this place or that place? Not remembering, not realizing that's what, what's truly important to God is whether I live in Arizona or New York, that I be obedient to God's big nose, the Ten Commandments. Whether I work as a contractor or a security guard or an executive or whatever job God gives me, that I be obedient to those thou shalt nots represented in the Ten Commandments. Those are the big no's. And when we're responsive to the commandments, because the Holy Spirit has first made us responsive to Christ, and he's in our life and in our heart as our Lord and our Savior, then it's amazing how we can handle all the rest of the no's because we're focusing on what truly matters to God. So if I were to give you two secrets for handling God's no in your life, that thing that you'd like to have, you desire it, you feel it's part of God's plan, 
But God is telling you no. It's to focus on these two things. Don't forget God's big yes to you in Christ. And don't forget that what's really important to God is that we be obedient to his commandments. Take out your crosswalk notes. Here's some great promises to you for even when God says no. Look at what it says in Lamentations. Though he, that's God, though God brings grief, and sometimes to hear God's no does bring grief, doesn't it? Though he brings grief, he will show compassion. See, that's God's yes. Even after he says, I've sent you my son, he continues to bless. And he will show compassion. So great is his unfailing love. For he does not willingly bring affliction or grief to the children of men. And now look at the promise that we hear in Judges 5 two: When we willingly, not grudgingly, respond to God's no. When the princes in Israel take the lead... When the people, will you circle willingly? When the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. So here's our second point this morning. Faith responds willingly when God says no. Faith responds willingly to God's no. If you're anything like me, once in a while when you hear no from God, it's not willingly, it's grudgingly. (sighs) Okay, God. God, do you remember how much I really wanted that? God, you've heard me pray, right? Please, God. And finally, God drags me along into some sort of kind of willingness to accept his no. But I love that passage from Judges because it reminds me That God wants me to respond not grudgingly to his no, but willingly to his no. All right, last point about being flexible, responsive. I was thinking about this part because of what happens to the Apostle Paul. You might not know this unless you know a little bit of the, the history here. This is Paul's second missionary journey. And we just heard that on the second missionary journey, the Spirit of Jesus stops Paul from going into the province of Asia. What we don't hear is what happens on the third missionary journey. What happens on the third missionary journey is that's exactly where God sends him. Three or four years later. And so, in effect, God's no in this situation was really a temporary no. It was a wait for my timing. And in fact, Asia later on becomes such an important province where the gospel is being preached that if you look in the book of Revelation, the very last book written in the Bible, and you notice that there are seven congregations that the Apostle John addresses that letter of Revelation to, all seven of those are in what province? The province of Asia. The very province that the Spirit of Jesus is saying, don't go there yet. You have to know that history to know that really God's no is God saying, wait a bit. 
You ever been told by God to wait a bit? I I can tell you some heart-wrenching stories of people in my life that have been asked to wait for things. When I was in Africa, we lived out in the bush, and there were always young girls in their mid-20s coming across to be... um, to be nurses, very dedicated young ladies. But I can't tell you how many times I sat with one of those young ladies or my wife Julie sat with one of those young ladies and they just completely dissolved into tears about six months after they got to Africa because it just hit them that they had made a two- or a three-year commitment in their mid-twenties. And you know what's coming next, don't you? And we're realizing they, they had really said, I'm willing to wait for a husband. I can tell you about several sets of friends that were told to wait for a child after they got married. One friend in Africa, they prayed fervently for a child for six years. And there were so many down times. Because God appeared to be maybe saying no. I have another friend, lives here in America, who once told me that he and his wife stopped going to Mother's Day services at church. You know why? Because they wanted a baby so bad and they were praying so fervently for a baby that every time they came to a Mother's Day service, it was too painful of a reminder that God had not blessed them with a child yet. It's hard to wait for God sometimes. And that's why it's so important that we have that that flexibility, that, that tool that can shift. There they are. Our faith has got to be adjustable and flexible and ready to fit the situation that, that God gives us. Whether it's, it's God's yes or God's no or God's maybe or wait till later. That's so hard for us sometimes to do. And yet, so important for us to be able to do it. There's a whole theme in the Bible of waiting. Did you know that? Think about it. Abraham and Sarah waited for a son, right? Jacob waited for his wife, Rachel, Seven years he worked for her, and then at the end he got Leah instead, so he he worked another seven years for Rachel. David waited to be king. He was anointed king, but Saul was still king. And in fact, Saul chased him all up and down the land of Israel, trying to kill him while David was waiting to be king. Imagine being in that situation. Wait a minute. I thought God already made me king, I've been anointed. And yet here I'm being chased by the king. What's going on here? Why am I still waiting? God's Old Testament people as a whole waited for the promise of the Messiah to be fulfilled for hundreds of years. And they waited. Paul waited for a thorn in the flesh to be healed. God's answer to him was, My grace is sufficient for you. Paul, my big yes in Christ to you is enough. And you and I, 
We're waiting patiently for Jesus to return, aren't we? Because that's exactly what the Bible tells us is going to happen. Just like Jesus came the first time in humility, he's going to come a second time in power and great glory and call us to be with him in heaven forever. We're waiting for that. There's a theme of waiting in the Bible. And that's exactly what happened here. And yet when we wait, we have to believe great things happen. Let's go back and look at our crosswalk notes one last time. You see, when God redirected Paul, when God closed the door, opened the window, read the rest of the story. What great thing happened? Paul ended up going to a place named Philippi because he was responsive to God's will and willing to wait to go into Asia. And there he met a lady named Lydia. And the Holy Spirit, remember, opened up her heart and her mind to the message that Paul had for her, the gospel message. And it ends up with this amazing story of here, this lady becomes converted to Christ. She's already a believer. She's expectantly, we think, waiting as a, as a Jewish believer for the Savior. Now she gets the knowledge that Christ has come. Go down to verse 14. Or verse 15. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. They were baptized. They became Christ followers. And she, she said, come into my home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Can you imagine being the Apostle Paul in that situation? All right, flip it over. Romans 2.4 Or do you show contempt, Paul writes to the Romans, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? You know why there's a theme of waiting in the Bible? Because it reflects God's heart for you. And me, though we're sinners, God waited to punish us. God patiently waited for the plan of his son taking our place and being our substitute to play out. God patiently loved and forgave us. And therefore, as the psalmist writes, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Why did Paul go where he was redirected? Because he believed what the psalmist wrote. If I go where God leads me, my feet are going to stand on a rock. I'm going to be lifted out of the mire and the mud, and I'm going to be on solid ground. And we need to believe that too. Whether God says yes to us, or no, or maybe, or wait a bit, believe with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, that God is not going to leave you in a miry, muddy pit. He will lift you up, and he will set your feet on the rock, and he will give you a firm place to stand in your life. And that's our third point. 
Faith responds patiently to God's timing. Always remembering that we have a patient God that we follow. So there you have it. A faith that's a dynastic faith is a flexible faith. Able to shift and move according to God's yes. It can respond to God's no. And it can respond to God's timing. Take a look at your next steps. Grow in your understanding of God's will for your life. One great way to do that, Phil announced earlier, we're having 101 class next week. There are also 201 and 301 classes here at Crosswalk. Sign up for one of those. You're really going to get to have an intimate knowledge of God's big yes and God's big no. And also how God guides you in life with some of the smaller yeses and nos. Secondly, respond to God by asking him to take your faith to the next level. Follow up on that response with action. Read your Bible daily and look for ways to put it into practice in your life daily. And finally, meditate on and memorize Psalm 41 and 2. We just read it. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on a rock. And he gave me a firm place to stand. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to have a firm, strong faith that is nailed down tight into your son, Jesus Christ, and into his cross. At the same time, Lord, we know that we need to be flexible. We need to be able to respond to you and your will in our lives. Lord, help us to always remember the biggest yes of all, that you said yes to us by sending your son, Jesus Christ, and that we are your dearly loved children. Lord, help us to remember also your big no as represented in your commandments, and that whatever way our life might turn, Lord, we are committed to following your will in our lives. Lord, help us to be patient and persistent at the same time to appreciate all your blessings and all your yeses in our lives. We we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com. 